Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life. I'm Ryan Pack. Brandis, Nicole, and I would like to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's been a really eventful year for us. First, we won a podcast sponsorship from Racket and Stir. Then we were named one of the top 50 podcasts to check out in May and June from Podchaser. On top of that, I was given the honor to guest host the podcast Feedback with Earbuds earlier this month. We've also launched a Patreon at patreon.com slash life. if you'd like to get early access to episodes, ad-free episodes, and special episode exclusives. We'll be dropping an exclusive episode before the end of the year. Thanks go out to David of the Vinyl Score YouTube channel and Palo of the Song Will Go On podcast for supporting our Patreon. We're planning on finishing the year strong. We have some great guests lined up and we also have our holiday episode. But today we're going to look back at some of the great episodes from earlier this year. It's our B-Sides episode and we have some clips that didn't fit in their original episodes. I'd like to thank all of our guests for their time this year. We've had some really great interviews. To kick things off, we're going to go back to our second anniversary episode with Craig Wedren back on July 25th. Craig Wedren has had such an interesting career in film and TV, and he was part of my first concert experience ever. He and I talk about him performing Walking After You at the Foo Fighters on Letterman and growing up with Dave Grohl in the DC punk and hardcore scene. For the longest time, I only had a promo single for uh, the Foo Fighters "Walking After You" um, song, which mm-hmm. I so I, only, I had the promo single because my sister used to work at the label, and I so I didn't have any credits, yeah. and um, I didn't realize you were on the song. I I knew that you were in the Letterman performance. Am I, am I on the recording? I, I truly don't remember whether I'm on the proper recording or whether I just did the background vocals for Letterman. I don't remember. I know, I know, I remember the Letterman experience. Um, I can vouch for that. And the other, I don't know. According to uh, Wikipedia, you're you're on the song. You... I may be. I may be. I just don't remember. I was doing that was a that was a funny that was a, like a blackout time in in my life. It was like after Shutter to Think, but before um, soundtrack stuff had really kicked in. You know, there would be like one movie a year, or like maybe two, and um, and I was doing a lot of uh, not a lot, but but. I remember doing different recordings. I, I, I was very open to like to trying stuff. So, so I remember, I remember doing a session with the Verve Pipe, like for their record. I remember doing Letterman with Foos. But it's all sort of it's all sort of a blur of of that of a freefall moment where I can't okay. remember the details. No worries. I could check with I could, I could check with Dave, but I bet he <laughs> probably doesn't remember. Because I was like, "What do you call what you do on that song?" Um, in the performance, you're you're more harmonizing, but um, at least what I think is your vocals on the recording, it's it's almost like they're just kind of using your voice as an instrument, which which is really cool. I'll have to listen to it. Is it 
does it ex- like where is it on Spotify or is it like oh, a you can find it on Spotify YouTube? now they they did like a big B sides yeah. dump on Spotify and it's like the Walking After You single oh, okay. version. It's a it's a beautiful beautiful song. I love that song. I love his ballads. I do too. I was like, I really, I really miss. I wish she did more like sappy Dave songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel that way too. Oh, okay. Here it is. I'll take a listen. But I remember, um, like, reading up on it. I think I was just kind of interested on like, like, oh, like, where'd they record that and who's playing on that song? Because I think it was a transitional time for them as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. I, it, it makes sense. Um, because there, there were more, I feel like there were more just sort of sweet, simple, straight, you know, that ballady songs early on. Yeah. Without, without the the muscle. Yeah. The, the softer side of Dave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Has a really pretty voice. Yeah, I love that Letterman performance. I remember watching it and being like, it's Craig. (laughs) World domination. Dave, um, so Dave and I know each other from the DC punk scene because Shuttered, you know, he was in in the band Dane Bramage and then he was in Scream um, at the same time that Shuttered to Think was doing stuff. So I would always we would always go see any band he was playing in just because he was such an, ex- like a, just a powerhouse. And, um, I remember he gave me like a cassette of like these demos that he had done. Um, I guess it was after Nirvana or maybe it was during Nirvana. I don't know. That became the first Foo Fighters record. And I remember listening to them being like, this is awesome. It's like, it's like, Steve Miller band of like alternative music or, or again, like going back to this idea of something slightly sweeter and softer and more melodic, you know, but I really, it, it, it had, it had more of his and all of our more overt kind of classic rock radio, um, love in it, which, uh, which I always really, like in his music yeah to go back to that first tour um i i feel like it was a difficult experience for everyone because i think the audience expectations were just so all over the place and you were still getting so uh, you were still getting a lot of knuckleheads like left over from Nirvana, yeah. who were who who were not necessarily there to like listen to music yeah, like I think half the audience wasn't even there really to see Foo Fighters. They're just hoping Dave would just talk about yeah. Nirvana for uh-huh. an hour and a half. Yeah, to his credit, he just did his music and continues to do so. Yeah. Hopefully, not cool. Um, so, so Craig, uh, what is your favorite soundtrack, and why do you connect with that piece of music? Ever like any soundtrack. Yeah, any soundtrack. Well, the first one that comes to mind is pre- it's pretty obvious, but um, it's Saturday Night Fever. Um, I don't know when I was eight 
or however old I was when it came out, if I understood or quite appreciated what a soundtrack was, but the music, you know, mostly Bee Gees songs, on that soundtrack and the way that it imprinted on me um, when I saw the movie, it speaks to that really unique synergy of music and story that is greater than the sum of its parts. And it's so deep in my DNA before I was aware of like scores. I mean, I suppose I was listening to the Star Wars score, you know, at the same time. Um, so, but, but it's still just such a cornerstone. I still listen to it. I still look to it. I still refer to it. And, um, it still inspires me, even though I know it's basically an album of BG songs. Um, if we're talking about, if we're talking about like score, score, that's a tougher question. There's so many. Um, I love so many Hitchcock scores. I love so many Fellini scores. Um, I love so many David Lynch scores. I don't know. It's interesting because I don't listen to a ton of instrumental score music. I, I, I reference it. I'll listen to it when I'm working on something, but it's not usually something like I have friends who are composers who really listen to mostly scores, but I think just because of my band background, um, and because of my, because of coming up kind of raised on the radio, um, I still tend to pay closer attention to in the loosest sense popular music you know into which i include like experimental and electronic and jazz and you know blah 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 right. um then film scores I, I i try and pay attention to scores when i'm watching something but i'm such a movie fan that usually i forget usually i stop listening within five minutes unless something is um blowing my mind um you know i really i really appreciated the northman score um i really appreciated what else have i seen recently i feel like there's been a bunch of really good scores but of course now that we're discussing it i can't remember any of them next we have scott interante from the this is the greatest song I've ever heard in my entire life podcast. He was our guest on our October 10th music and lyrics episode. And in this clip, Scott, Nicole, and I talk about the odd career of the band Sugar Ray. Another tangent, but maybe for a future uh, episode. Have you ever seen the film Father's Day? It's a 90s film. Is that the Billy Crystal Robin Williams one? Billy Crystal Robin Williams are both told that they might 
have a son, the same son, this woman that they both used to date, and she said, it it's might be your son. It's a reverse Mamma Mia. <laughs> it's a reverse Mamma Mia. And, and she says, oh, my son is missing. Can you go find him? So they team up to go find him. He is on the road following Sugar Ray, the actual band Sugar Ray. And this is like before Fly. They're just like a new metal band from California, but they're in it. Mark McGrath has like lines of dialogue. It's crazy. <laughs> No way. Yeah. He's also in uh, Lady Dynamite, the Maria Bamford show. Oh, wow. Mark McGrath? Yeah, he's like, he kind of bookends the first season. And he's like, oh, he's like, oh, I hate you. And she's like, why did we do something sexually? And he's like, ew, gross. (laughs) Does he play himself? Yes. That's great. I love that. Maybe Mark McGrath is is cooler than has I a little, thought. Like he has a little bit of like self awareness that we didn't know about. Yeah, like he seems pretty pretty chill with his like public perceptions. So, all right, Mark yeah. McGrath, you win this round. I'm gonna forgive you for making fly so ubiquitous during high school. It's a great song though. <laughs> I, I I resent more like every morning and. Uh... Sometime or someday. God, someday. Those are, yeah. You're right. Those are objectively worse. I see. I think all four of the songs. The other one being uh, when it's over. I think all four of them are perfect pop songs. But I'm now. I'm trying to like sing them in my head, and they become like one, <laughs> one like yeah. Voltron song. Like I can't differentiate them if I try to think about them at the same time. Yeah. Like I understand why they were popular. Yes. Like, they are undeniably catchy songs. But I also kind of feel like they just fill the void of Brad Noel passing away. Oh, Oh, that's... Jeez, Brian, way to bring it (laughs) down. Is that not what... No, it might be true. Did they not fill that void? The kind of sublime... sublime vibe. Yeah, I think you feel that maybe more because we're Californian, too, that there was a sort of a place to step into. It's kind of like the the whole post-grunge scene after Kurt Cobain died, and then you get, you know, Bush. (laughs) Yeah. But what's crazy, too, and now I don't know why, now this is just a podcast about Sugar Ray. but We'll cut this um, out. But (laughs) those... Those songs, which are really good and radio-friendly and, like, pop songs, the rest of the albums are, like, really bad new metal. Um, sound nothing like them. And those four songs are, like, split onto three different albums. Um, and everything around them is, like, garbage. And I don't understand what was happening. It was just like, oh, hey, today we're going to make a hit. And then the rest of the time, we're going to make this other crap. Like, I don't know. What what were they doing? It's crazy. I assume it was like the labels, like, we need a single. And they're like, here's the catchiest guess, thing we could come up with. It's and just like, crazy oh, that wow. they could just, like, turn it on like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. It makes me kind of curious of what a Sugar Ray concert kind of sounds like, if it's, like, <laughs> mostly new metal and then those four songs at <laughs> yeah. the end. I think it I sounds know. like the sound of screeching, drunk, middle-aged women that have had too many Bud Lights. Nicole, let's stop talking about this or it's going to become the Listener Dare episode that we have to go to a Sugar Ray concert. Oh, no, I don't want that. Maybe I do. Maybe I they're know. at the fair. Yeah. I mean, they're, from a, they're from over here, so I'm sure that we could catch them whenever. At Knott's Berry Farm. At Knott's Berry Farm. Yeah. There we go. Brought it back to the movie. Amazing. 
From our May 23rd episode on The Crow, our guest was Colin Jackson Brown of the Free With This Month's Issue and We Dig Music podcasts. Colin, Brandis, and I discussed the many failed attempts to reboot The Crow. So it's funny if you look up The Crow on Wikipedia and, you know, you kind of look at the length of the page, the longest section is on how many times they've talked about rebooting this film. Yes. Yeah, and failed. I mean, none of the sequels did well. Um, The TV series I've not seen and is apparently very bad. Uh, I'd be happy if they did do a version and it was good. I'd I'd be perfectly fine with that. But I don't know. It's not a character that's really stayed in like the public imagination. So you would have so much resistance from most of the people that that did know and like the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people that didn't know and like the original, you're going to get a lot of sort of basically indifference from them. They'll be like, never even heard of it. Why are you remaking that? Uh, yeah. You kind of have to have like a nice middle ground there. Cause like you're saying the hardcore fans for the original, especially in, you know, reverence to Brandon Lee um, yeah. are not going to be happy about a remake there. And yeah. you're right. Like, nobody else really knows about this character or that comic or, yeah. you know, would care to see like a remake. So it's kind was, of like uh, a background. Yeah. The, I, I think the closest I ever got to it was um, uh, Jason Momoa was rumored to be taken on the role a few years ago, but then he dropped out of that. So that obviously sort of stopped in its tracks, but uh, that, you know, that could have got traction because he's, you know, he's, very very popular mm-hmm. and generally pretty good i mean he even made aquaman interesting and uh, aquaman <laughs> is one of the terrible one of the worst superheroes that there has ever been <laughs> yeah it's it's a lot to get over in terms of um being aquaman um <laughs> like the whole underwater thing is a lot to get over but you're right like attaching like a big name very popular movie star is probably the only hope at getting sort of mainstream people to be invested yeah. in the character they know nothing about and he would be a good a good choice for that yeah but don't you think his body type is a little too weird for too muscly like he's too, yeah he's too muscly for a guy who you know was just in a band i mean of course he could be muscly and in a band i guess but uh, only if you're in man of war yeah <laughs> I mean, he's always been muscly, though. So if you just take it as, you know, he was living his life, didn't become a movie star, and then he had this whole revenge arc story, like, yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. There are muscly yeah. people out there who well, experience that, that, too. Well, he wasn't a... I don't think he was a musician in the original comics. Uh, and the sequels, I don't think, went with that. I mean, in Crow City of Angels, he was a, um, like a showbiz magician-y type bloke. He keeps doing card tricks and stuff. Um, which is just utterly ridiculous. <laughs> That's also a sign of the times. There was like a moment where magicians were like the it thing before vampires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, one of the other sequels had uh, da- uh, David Boreanaz, didn't it? Who played Angel. So there's the vampire <laughs> connection. <laughs> yep, so you, there you go. From the 90s to the 2000s, we're yeah. checking all those boxes. <laughs> <laughs> As of two days ago, it sounds like they're about to announce another attempt at a reboot. So that's why I'm. Okay. It up. What What's the news on that one? Is it a 
anybody that's connected it's, to it? Or? Uh, Colin Hardy as the director, okay. but people are not sure if Momoa is still attached. Okay, cool. Well, I'll, I will remain open-minded, and I will check it out. And hopefully it's more like the first one than City of Angels or any of the others that I've not seen yet and probably won't bother with. <laughs> well, and in addition to someone having to fill the shoes of Brandon Lee, which is impossible to do, you know, when that actor is a was, you know... Yeah. no longer with us and the way that he was no longer with us that's a tall order to fill but also what about the soundtrack for the remake considering that you know the soundtrack we're discussing for the original three times platinum kind of a big deal so trying to follow yeah, there's that no up. way that's going to hold a candle to the soundtrack <laughs> yeah absolutely no way <laughs> I mean, I'd give it a go at putting one together but uh, yeah Get, <laughs> trying to think which current bands there's a um a band who i think are from la uh called glare who are an awesome sort of goth um sort of synth wave sort of band uh if they were on there that'd be utterly fantastic are you, uh, are you guys both in la relatively um, i'm in la more or less, yeah, yeah. Right. i'm, I'm a little should, south of la you should definitely try and see glare live it's g-l-a-a-r-e uh, particularly you, Brandis, because digging Nine Inch Nails, you'll probably like them. Uh, yeah, yeah. One of my favourite albums of last year, um, and you've got much more chances to see them live than I have. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely put that on my list. But yeah. I, do you even think that if that was re- if it's rebooted and they're doing the soundtrack today, do you think that they would keep it? in that genre i mean do you think the film would still be goth do you think the soundtrack would still be like that industrial rock moment i don't know uh i think it'd be more new metal i i don't think it'd be new metal i think what i what my main thoughts are is they wouldn't be making it for me so Mm -hmm. you know then they're not going to do focus groups of uh 40 year old beardy music gigs from <laughs> from england are they uh so you know they're going to be making it for the kids so i'm out of touch with that kind of stuff i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't even think that the whole goth and industrial rock and all of that even registers i feel like it would be a completely different tone with totally new genres and like a new sort of scene honestly P- potentially i mean you've got people like um there are still elements of goth in the mainstream. Uh, I mean, the House's album last year, which uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross produced, and was absolutely amazing. Um, best pop album of last year and probably the last few years um, is incredibly goth. So, mm-hmm. you know, if if you've got someone as mainstream as Housey doing that, then there are going to be some of the youth who are into it. So if they aim at those, I might like it. But if they don't, uh, you know, if it's all uh, Machine Gun Kelly and stuff like that to (laughs) pull a name out of the air of someone I've never listened to but have heard his name, oh, I'm just just aging as I do this podcast today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's not for me to decide, you know. I've I've still got this record. I've still got this soundtrack. It's not going away. I, this is one of the things you you shouldn't get annoyed when people make new things or new versions of things. There's nothing wrong with remakes. 
um, as long as you've still got your original one that you can listen to. It's like when yeah. a, a band uh, changes their style and puts out a new album and the fans are all like, oh, I hate this, I, I want you to play the early stuff. You've still got the early stuff. You can still go back and listen to it. So uh, just listen to your, your old stuff from when you were a kid and uh, shut up, old man, basically, is <laughs> what I'm saying to myself. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I could see things going um, hip-hop on the, the soundtrack. Maybe not like what we listen to as mainstream hip-hop, but I've been seeing a lot of like Joy Division references popping up with rappers. Yeah. So Danny Brown... Um, yes. He released an album called Atrocity Exhibition, which is yes, a Joy Division song. Um, Vince Staples, uh, his first yeah. full length, um, it's called Summertime 06, but the artwork is a play on the um, Unknown Pleasures artwork. Oh, okay. So I feel cool. like Joy Division is kind of permeating kind of like this. I don't want to call them more experimental rappers because I don't think they're super experimental, but, you know, they're <laughs> definitely different from mainstream rap, right? Like, yeah, yeah. They kind of take a lot of more like electronic elements into their sound and they're a little bit more yeah. adventurous, more adventurous rap, I think is the right way to put it. So I could see them cool. doing something like that, you know, not like Drake in like the weekend, but Oh god. <laughs> but you know, like some of these like darker sort of rappers, you know, doing something like that, or maybe even something yeah. kind of like Judgment Nightish. Ah, uh, Judgment Night, yeah. Now that's a soundtrack. <laughs> Have you done an episode on that one yet? <laughs> no, but I'm very excited to do one when someone I, is ready I'd to do it. Be well up for doing that at some point, and uh, I'm sure Ian would as well. <laughs> that can be arranged. I mean, that's a huge awesome. soundtrack, and yeah, I know so many people who know the soundtrack and have never watched the movie. I've seen it once about probably 15 years ago, and don't ever need to see it again. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I think Lily and Hannah have the same sort of yeah. feeling about that. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, we're going to go back to our first episode of 2022 back on January 10th. Our guest was John Munson of Semisonic, and I was able to tell him about how seeing one of his other bands, the New Standards, kind of kept on popping up while I was dating my wife. So I would like to tell you a little story about uh, when I was dating my wife. <laughs> So we were maybe like a month into dating and you guys, uh, the new standards were playing in LA. So you guys were going to play at Largo and, you know, typically I would just go with friends, but no one was like available to go. So I asked this girl I was dating if she wanted to go see uh, this cover band, which uh-huh. featured, which featured uh, this guy from Semisonic. And uh, my wife is pretty much, you know, born and raised in L.A. Um, I, you know, she lived out of state a couple times for like grad school, but, you know, she's pretty much an L.A. girl. So I was like, well, this is going to be a very fun, like Minnesota day for you because that's where I'm from. And, <laughs> you know, and she had a great time. And in the, but in the middle of the show, you, um, you guys brought out a comedian named Mary Mack. Oh, Mary. It's the best. And so, you know, Mary goes up there and she's talking about meat raffles and Lyme disease. And, you know, it's very funny, but very like Minnesota specific humor. She's all that. Yeah. (laughs) And, and in my mind, I'm just like, Oh, is this just too much Minnesota all at one time? And so a couple weeks later, my wife uh, has 
a friend at work who's getting married and she asks my wife like, Hey, um, I'm thinking about getting a comedian to like do a bit at my reception. What do you think? And so my wife told me about it. I was like, I think that's a terrible idea. Cause I just, <laughs> I'm just imagining, you know, like an Andrew Dice Clay sort of figure just making a bunch of like wedding night jokes. Right. Trashing, trashing the occasion. Yeah. And what I didn't know is that the friend that, or the comedian that she had in mind was Mary Mack. Awesome. So, so Mary Mack ended up doing um, five to 10 minutes at, at uh, my wife's friend's reception. Love it. Was she funny? Of course she was funny. She's Mary Mack. <laughs> and so it was weird, like this one new standard show just kind of popping up in our relationship over and over again, you know, with Mary Mack. And then um, when it came time to propose, I was trying to figure out what would be like an appropriate way to do it. And so I ended up proposing to my wife at uh, Thomas Lowry Park back in uh, downtown, in downtown Uh, Minneapolis. Oh, uh, I'm trying to think where that park is now. Where where exactly is that? It's uh, across the street from the Sculpture Garden, I think. Oh, 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 Loring Park, Loring Park. Loring Park? I thought it was Lowry Park. No, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's Loring, Loring Park. It's love. That's a lovely little spot. Yeah. It's, it's quite a beautiful little, uh, garden and pond and stuff, right? Is it, is that what is, I'm, I'm sure that's the park that you're referring to. It's gotta be. Oh, it says Thomas Lowry Park. They maybe changed the name. It's always been, I mean, you're you're going to send me a, a map of it, but the if it's uh, it, definitely pin it and send it to me. But the uh, you would know where you proposed, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna second guess you at all. Yeah, I'll send you a pin. Yeah, send me a pin. You know, there's another comedian. Uh, not to get off not to get off track, but there's another comedian who now lives in LA, but who's from Duluth, Minnesota. And her name is Maria Bamford. Are you fami- familiar with her? Yep. Um, I, she's collaborated um, with me and uh, my friend John Moe, who's a really funny mm-hmm. comedian and author from the Twins. He's actually from Washington, but he, he, I think he pretty much identifies as a as a Twin City and at this point, or maybe even a St. Paulite. She is, God, she is straight up so funny. And she is... She's got the same quality as uh, Mary Mack and that, I mean, if you're from Minnesota, you can hear that she's from here. She has the accent of a, uh, of a Minnesotan. And then also her sensibilities and the way she speaks about her family relationships and stuff like that is just so, so Minnesota. And she, she came and did a show with John and I uh, about a, month and a half ago called wits at the Fitzgerald theater. And Oh my God, she is, was just such a crack up. I just love her. And I love Mary too. And I haven't seen her for ages and I can't wait to see her again now thinking about her. Yeah. So we went to go see Mary do some stand up sometime pre COVID and um, we we're just kind of chatting with her backstage and this guy kept walking by us. And he kind of kept on doing like this double take. And then he finally walked up to her and said, Maria Bamford. 
funny. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't think they look that much alike, but they kind of do now that I think about it. And uh, we're all just like, uh... (laughs) But, yeah, I told Mary that I saw her with you guys, and she just has the nicest things to say about the three of you. She's gold. Uh, and I'm, 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 I'm not surprised that she lied and was complimentary about us. <laughs> uh, she's a crack up. She is. She's a straight up crack up. She's uh, so visual. Her, uh, there's an aspect of her comedy, which is really visual, which is true of many comedians, obviously. And so we're, we're, she was working on this radio show and she did this whole kind of costume gag where she dressed up like a janitor and she was kind of like the Jan from Jan from the, you know, custodial staff or whatever. And she'd come out and it was very, it was like a very Carol Burnett kind of gag, you know, in a way. And I love Carol Burnett. I think she's so funny. Um, But the radio folks were like, what is this shit? She's coming out and she's like doing this visual humor, but it's a radio show. Nobody can see her. So she kind of got booted off the show, which I thought was a disaster and she should have been on in spite of everything. Cause anybody can, ident- I mean, it, it, radio listeners can hear people laughing and they can, they, that if you hear people laughing, then you yourself will laugh and it's winning. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, she's gold. Yeah, I just remember telling her that my wife and I were planning to go to the Minnesota State Fair because my wife had never been and, you know, she'd seen Andrew Zimmer and rave about it. So she wanted to go. And Mary was like, oh, I love the State Fair. I go, you know, multiple times a year. And she's like, maybe I'll see you there. And it was just so funny that, you know, we had just met her and she's like, maybe I'll see you. You know, usually when you meet someone that's a comedian or someone that you think is semi-famous they <laughs> they probably don't want to see you again but she's like oh yeah if you see me say hi let's admit that's a little bit of a that's a little bit of a uh a minnesota thing right i i yeah. do think there's a you know i mean that's people say minnesota nice is all jive and whatever but there, there's a little something to it i think in some in some cases now I'm looking at this map right here and I'm wondering what park across the street from the sculpture garden you went to. Oh, I see Thomas Lowry Park. So you were you so were you up on the hill? Were you up on the hill behind the Walker Art Center? Yeah. Okay. So if you look at, at a map of the Twin Cities and you see um the much larger park that has two ponds. Yeah, um, I see. That. That's that's Loring Park, but Thomas, yes, Thomas Lowry Park is up there. It's in that a- area called like Lowry Hill, and it's up on the big kind of fancy. It's it's a, it's it's also lovely, but it's much smaller park above the uh, above the Walker Art Center, and I bet it was a very pretty spot to propose, and obviously it worked. So there's the proof in the pudding. Yeah, it worked. Even though um, I actually tried to get you guys to to help out, I actually talked to Chan about it. Oh, and, did uh, you? I did. I I reached out, and the weekend I picked uh, didn't work out because you guys were doing Rock the Garden. Oh, and uh, I he's like, you can do it at Rock the Garden, and I was like, I don't think my wife's gonna like <laughs> like that. No. 
I think you, yeah, that's that was smart. <laughs> it was it was the weekend of the replacements reunion at same in St. Paul. Oh God, that was a big deal. Did you do? Did you get over to th- see that? Well, that's why we were there. In the oh first yeah, place. that was a big. That was quite a. That was uh, that was a big to do. Well, that was a hard ticket. So good on you for getting those. Yeah, and I was like, well, I guess since we're here, we should do some other memorable stuff, <laughs> like get 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 engaged. <laughs> yeah, but I was trying to get you guys to kind of bookend our like courtship. Well. Geez, I'm, I feel sad that we let you down, but on the other hand, it all seems to have worked out pretty well. <laughs> no, it's worked out great, but you know, I was like, well, if I ever get to talk to them, I'm going to tell them the story. <laughs> I'm glad you did. And I'll t- I'm, I'm going to call up Chan right now and say, God, I can't believe you didn't figure out a way to come through for Ryan. And he'll look at me, scratch his head. <laughs> but uh, I'm excited about when you guys... Uh, and come back out this way we had a lot of fun at that show right on man well we we loved playing I, 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 that was that was god that was uh that was a big that was a big to do i mean i think we got a lot of our pals to kind of come out for it it was really fun it was really fun very memorable yeah and i think i was only in i was only um familiar with your songs. I didn't know that you guys kind of did this variety show format, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of can turn into that. <laughs> it can, it can kind of the, the rail that it can kind of go off the rails pretty quick, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was incredible. You guys had uh, John C. Riley, Mary Mack and, and Dan Wilson. Yeah. Did, Paul Tompkins make it down that time too. I was trying to remember if Amy Mann and Paul, I think they were at a different event that I did. Um, also, I think they were part of your Wits LA shows. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Those guys are, they're, they're good, good pals too. Thanks for listening. Like I said, we've got some really strong episodes to close out 2022 and we're hoping to have more great guests lined up for 2023. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star review, or support us by joining the Patreon. Hit us up on Twitter at Soundtrack underscore your, and on Instagram at SoundtrackCast. We'll be back in two weeks with a really exciting guest, so tune in then. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.